Well, it is incredibly good to be with you this morning as uh, we celebrate uh, Christmas as we begin uh, with the Advent season. Uh, my name is Eric. If I've not met you before, I'm one of the elders here and I count it a privilege um, to serve and to be with you this morning. So as one who loves um, the Christmas season, um, I hate to start out with um, kind of a downer of a question, but uh, I'm going to anyway. Um, so the question is this, uh, is, is where were you when? To so begin to think back and where were you when a Neil Armstrong landed on the moon? Where, some of you, Neil Armstrong, you, you learn about him in elementary school, maybe. Uh, where were you when uh, JFK or Martin Luther King uh, was shot? Again, some of you are reliving these moments. Some of you are like, I have no idea. Um, the space shuttle Challenger um, exploded. I think 73 seconds after it left the pad. Uh, where were you, uh, for my generation, where were you uh, when Columbine happened? Where were you on 9-11? For many of us, we can recall um, these exact moments in time that, that pinpoint um, a, a moment of, of transition. Uh, maybe for some of us um, today, um, you don't really remember a lot of those things but where were you when you first realized this pandemic thing was actually happening and uh, we were being ordered um, to stay home uh, just uh, several months ago? And these moments, um, oftentimes, they're, they're big. They're oftentimes uh, things that change our culture. They're, they change uh, the way that uh, we think, the way that we act. Um, there's, there's no going back um, from them. And they're oftentimes negative, aren't they? As we think about these major um, cataclysmic moments of where our culture shifts, where our thinking changes, um, they're oftentimes incredibly negative. They're oftentimes catastrophes, tragedies. And normally, without warning, these things just happen. They just happen. Well, friends, welcome to 2020. And here we are uh, in this moment, and we've experienced uh, a, a year with incredible amounts of uncertainty, not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring, not knowing if we can plan our calendars for, let alone a couple months from now, but a week or a day, trying to figure out what in the world uh, is going to, to happen. In the middle of this global pandemic, uh, many across our world have seen an economic recession. There's been mass uh, unemployment. There's been political division. Uh, there's been cultural upheaval. There's been racial divides. There's been record wildfires, hurricanes, and flooding um, all across um, the globe. And now we even have a word called doom scrolling. Has anyone heard of this word? Just one of you. Man, one of you knows the word, but the rest of you know what it is. <laughs> it is that a constant uh, desire um, to consume an endless procession of negative news, whether it's on our, our Facebook news feed or the, the CNN app or on our Fox News app or whatever it is. We, we just continue to consume it of what, what's going to happen next. And uh, sometimes we're not even worried about what's happening next. We're like, what, what kind of bad thing happened already? Or why has today already been so horrible? And I just woke up. And this, this idea of 
doom scrolling and even we do this to the detriment of our own mental health that it causes us oftentimes to be depressed and anxious um, to be worried to live uh, with and out of fear for our lives for others and we live in a culture where the language of fear is just so strong it is so loud and it just matches all of this news feed, this doom scrolling that we do. And I don't, I don't really want to be a downer here. I love Christmas. I mean, I love everything about Christmas. I love Christmas cookies. I love icing on the Christmas cookies. <laughs> it's not funny. I love uh, Christmas breakfast. I love presents. I don't like wrapping them, but I like unwrapping them. I like the idea of uh, getting presents, although I don't want to go shopping to get them for people. I, Amazon is my favorite friend. Click, done. Um, I, I love Christmas trees. I love, love, love Christmas trees. You know, the big, fat ones, you know? I don't want no skinny, lame, Charlie Brown Christmas tree. If, if you like those, you should just stop. We, we want the big ones, the fat ones, you know? The ones that you have to like search for an hour and a half to find, and then you find two that might work, and then you're like, ooh, there's a bad side on that one. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Three of us do this? So just going around and around, just looking for it, and, and decorating the Christmas tree, and putting the lights on, and I don't particularly like putting bulbs on it. I find that to be incredibly boring, but I love watching the bulbs be put on. And as a kid, I love the tinsel, you know? Does anybody still use tinsel? One, two, yes. Um, I love putting on the tinsel as a kid. My mom gets so mad at me um, for doing it improperly because my, my technique was, which I, I think is a good technique. I mean, I would, you know, grab, you know, pinch some of it, right? Do you guys know what tinsel is? Okay, you know, you grab the tinsel, and I would, I would work on my throw. You know, you get the proper trajectory, the, the proper angle, and, you know, fling it up so that it, when it falls, it's glorious. Mom, mom didn't think that was so fun. Mom would be like, you need, you need to grab, like, one or two strands and, like, properly put them on. I'm like, where's the fun in that? But I, I, love, I love Christmas. I, I love Christmas morning. I love our kids in Christmas pajamas. I love uh, Christmas Eve. For me, uh, growing up, uh, we would always, on, on Christmas Eve, we would go to my aunt and uncle's house, uh, Charlie and Arlene, and they always had a, a party. And um, she had all kinds of Christmas stuff, decorations everywhere. And she had meatballs. <laughs> oh, I love me some meatballs. But they were Christmas meatballs. I don't know why, but that, that's what they were to me. And even still to this day, um, I love um, the, the Christmas um, cinnamon and orange rolls that uh, my mom used to make when I was a kid. I mean, I, I love, I love Christmas. And, and I know some of you are, have been upset because you don't get to watch the Charlie Brown Christmas, but I, I love the Charlie Brown Christmas, and I love uh, Linus, and I love uh, that Christmas story, and, and reading the Christmas story, and I love um, just reliving um, the story of how um, God left uh, the throne of heaven and came here and took on flesh as a baby, uh, and there in a manger uh, he was born. I love um, everything about it, uh, but there's this reality that you know we're kind of living in right now, isn't there? 
where it's just been um, this doom scrolling, this doomsday um, kind of year. And if there's ever a year where we need Christmas, it's, it's this year. <laughs> if there's ever a year that we need to find or we need the hope of Christmas, um, this is certainly it. And if there's ever a year that uh, we need, we need Jesus. It is becoming more evident now um, to us than ever before. Um, this is that year. So as we enter into this season of Advent, um, I want you to, to know and to remember that this is the season of hope. Um, Advent is all about hope. Um, it's not about doom scrolling and all of the awful things that are happening in the world. It is a hopeful time. Advent literally means um, the coming or arrival. And the season is traditionally marked with a, a sense of expectation uh, anticipation, waiting, and longing. Um, it's not just an extension of Christmas or to somehow, for those of us that love Christmas, to make the season longer. It's a time where we look forward. It is a time uh, that links the past, um, the present, as well as the future. And it offers us um, to share um, in this ancient longing that the Messiah would come as a baby to celebrate his birth, but also um, to be longing and waiting for his second return to come back. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Jesus' coming, while at the same time looking forward in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for his people. So during Advent, we wait for both. It's an active, assured, and it's a hopeful waiting. But far too often, our, our Christmases have become about many of the things that I just mentioned that I love about Christmas. It's become about Christmas cookies and Christmas trees and shopping. Oh, the shopping. I heard a report this year that there were actually local stores putting Christmas stuff out in March. Uh, did anybody buy anything in March for Christmas? Oh, somebody did. All right, shame on you. In March. But of course, in October, you know, I was getting videos on my newsfeed of people actually walking around in Menards and, I mean, in, in like lumber yards, finding Christmas stuff um, all set up and ready to go. And uh, it's become this busy season of buying gifts, of planning parties, of uh, figuring out um, who and what and how we're going to be around. Uh, but I want us to remember that Advent is also an opportunity for us to just set all of that aside. Set, set the hype um, all aside. Set um, aside all of the anxiety, all of the worry. And it's a time for us to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Messiah. And it's a time for us to also um, set aside all of the hardships of this year. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I wake up thinking about... Um, things that I've been doom-scrolling about. And I know many of you can probably relate. You're worried about, or we're worried about the, the election, uh, what happens um, to our country if this happens or if that happens, what happens if I go outside, what happens if I get together with my family today, what happens if I get sick, what happens. And I mean, even as we're talking about it, um, this is about to catch on fire and we should probably blow it out. <laughs> Wow. Thank you, God, for helping me see that. <laughs> that would have been a Christmas to remember, 
right up there with Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. Uh, yeah, that would be bad. Um, note to self, new candles for next week. Um, so for us to set all of this stuff aside and, and to remember that, that God is, he is not at all um, surprised by our predicament. He's not at all surprised by the pandemic. He's not at all surprised by what you and I think about it. He's not, he's not surprised by any of it. But here in this moment where we have these cataclysmic things that happen, it's an opportunity for us to reassess uh, where we are, what we think, what we're worried about, what we long for. So wherever you are on your level of 2020 anxiety and worry or anger, uh, and wherever you are on your own spiritual journey, I want you to know that this season of Advent, it is a gift for you, and it's a gift for me, because we've been given the opportunity um, this year, probably like never before in our lifetimes, to rediscover Christmas, to rediscover what it's all about. So for the next four weeks, uh, we're going to be exploring the attributes of Christ uh, that are encapsulated in his birth um, with the Christmas season of hope, peace, joy, and love. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, um, the Christ child. So today, we're going to begin uh, with rediscovering the hope of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, um, even when we're surrounded by great amounts of uncertainty. Let's pray together. God, we uh, are grateful uh, for today. God, that you've given us the privilege to, to wake up and uh, to put our shoes on, the ability to uh, walk and talk and move, the ability to have friends, the ability to have family, God, the ability to, uh, to be here together, uh, virtually as well as in person. God, that we can encourage one another, as the scriptures call us to do. God, we're grateful today that uh, you've given us this gift of this Advent season. And God, not that we rediscover Christmas to make it something that it's not actually about, but that we go back and rediscover um, again, afresh, anew, your story of hope of bringing Jesus Christ into the world. So God, today, we simply ask that uh, you would speak to us and God, that you'd open our ears, that we'd have the privilege to hear you and be changed by you. God, grant us hope today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Um, so as uh, we explore these things over the next um, few weeks, we're going to see different aspects of the Christmas story. And um, we're going to see them maybe from a different angle, different light that maybe we've talked about before. Um, and tonight we're going to, or not tonight, today, uh, we're going to look at um, the story of Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. But first I want to just cover a little bit of background of what's happening um, here, because uh, we think we oftentimes have it bad today, which of course is not awesome today, but it's certainly not as bad as it's ever been. Um, so Israel, um, back in the days of the Bible, um, you could probably make a pretty good case um, for the fact that they had um, it pretty bad, um, that they had a world um, that was struggling. They were living um, year after year, generation after generation, of being taken over, of being conquered, of becoming slaves. Um, they were a defeated nation um, at this time in history under the Roman Empire. Um, it was clearly a harsh day 
uh, to live in. Um, it was a time of conquest, and it was a time of brutality, particularly by the Roman Empire. There have been thousands of years since um, the times of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the calling out of God's people, as we have seen throughout um, all of the Old Testament. And um, it had been thousands of years of being invaded and conquered by enemies, like the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And then we've got um, the massive empires of the Greeks and Romans, and it had been generations and generations since the formation of God's covenant with humanity, where he promised a Messiah to make things right, to bless humans and restore um, all that we humans had messed up since God's incredible creation. The fulfillment of God's covenant and the coming of the Messiah who would uh, make everything right was, it wasn't just a happy idea. Um, this was something that uh, many of God's people um, held on to, um, deeply held on to. We look in um, the scriptures, and it says that all peoples of earth will be blessed through you, the promise of Abraham, that they held on to this promise, this truth. But where? But when? It hadn't happened as of yet. But there was hope um, by some, even in those moments, they clung to it. But how long, O oh God, as we see um, in the Scriptures, that would be their cry, how long do we have to endure? How long do we have to persevere um, during these times before the long-awaited Messiah is going to come? Is it possible um, that there were only just, just a few embers of hope that were left in this time? Is it possible that most of the spark with most of God's people had gone out? Or was the hope um, strong and alive and um, burning brightly? And we're going to see here in Luke's account that uh, there was definitely um, not just some embers, um, but there was a hope um, that was raging in people. It was firing their lives and, and lighting their way. And we're going to jump in actually after um, what, uh, we, where we would normally start with our Christmas story. Spoiler alert, by the way, Jesus is um, born, and um, he is the Messiah. And uh, we're not going to start there um, today. We're actually going to start after it. Um, and, um, you know, typically you, you've got uh, all of these things that happen, you know, the Mary is on a donkey, and, you know, she, she rides into Bethlehem with, with Joseph, and, you know, there they are. There's no room for them in the inn, and they go, and they, they find a place, and Jesus is born. And there's a bunch of animals around. Um, oftentimes, they're like typically American animals, which I find interesting, and, and there they are in the manger scene, and baby Jesus is there, and there's this glowing bright light, you know, coming um, from the manger scene, and, you know, you've got the shepherds here on, on one side because the angels had come to them, but now they're there at the manger, and somehow we get that the three kings, are, or the three wise men are, are there, which they're not actually there if you've read the story, uh, but we, we do this in our pageantry so that we can pull them all together uh, for one last rendition of um, Silent Night, <laughs> the credits roll of our on our play, and uh, everyone cheers, and we go home. Um, but right after uh, we hear about the birth of Jesus and the shepherds, uh, we get um, to the second half of Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start um, in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What, what a moment that must have been, by the way. By the way, Simeon, you're, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah come. Man, that, that had to be an incredible moment. Verse 27, And when he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. I mean, imagine, first you get this word from God that you're not going to die before you get to see the Messiah come. Like, you actually are going to get to see him and meet him, and it's going to happen during your lifetime. Would, would that bring a significant amount of hope for you in getting up each day? Maybe, maybe today's the day. Maybe today is that moment. And not only was there this promise given, but there he was um, in the temple courts, and in comes Carrie Jesus. And he recognizes this moment. He had been waiting for this moment. And when it happened, he wasn't oblivious to it. No one had to tell him, hey, oh, by the way, you know, I'm, we're going to bring Jesus, you know, the Messiah by about 2.30. So if you can, like, prepare to be ready and excited for this moment. No, he knew because he had been longing. He had been waiting for this Messiah to come, and he recognized Jesus, as they walked into the room. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from the many hearts may be revealed." I mean, to think that Mary and Joseph, I mean, they, they knew who Jesus was. I mean, remember, Mary had had this moment with an angel. I mean, they had seen this come to fruition. I mean, they knew that I mean, she was a virgin and had a child. I mean, they, they'd seen miracles, but here they are, and they're marveling at what is being said about Jesus. Their hope is transforming right in front of them. These promises, these words... They're taking shape right in front of them, and they marveled at what was being said about Jesus. Verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then now as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer and night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption 
of Jerusalem. So here you have Anna working, serving in the temple for decades, for decades. And she would fast and worship, waiting, longing um, to see the Messiah, the long-promised Messiah come. And today was that day. I mean, imagine if that was you, that you've been waiting for something for decades. I mean, can any of us even think of something that we've been waiting for for decades? I mean, longing for, living for, for decades? Most of us probably can't think of something more than like a year. I mean, even to think back of something I've really wanted. I mean, maybe, you know, there's a certain boat that might, you know, fit into your, your thinking. Maybe it's a Nerf gun, you know. You know, that special one that shoots the, I don't even know what they're called. Um, you know, it shoots the, the big Nerf bullets. You know what I'm talking about? Kids, right? Yeah, three of you? All right. Um, maybe, maybe you've been waiting for that um, new oven. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Am I waiting for a new oven? Uh, a new house. Um, all kinds of things that we wait for. But we don't wait for those things for decades. I mean, we don't wake up every day, and that's what we long for, is to see it. Um, she'd been waiting and longing for decades, and here in front of her was Jesus. Here in front of her was the Messiah, the long-promised Messiah. It's incredible. Um, she's having this moment, and to, to think, to see her hope uh, realized. And just to remember that these were people that were living in significant times of oppression. Um, they and their people, um, they were despised um, by many. Um, they had likely um, seen many family members um, taken away to never return. Um, Anna had lost her husband um, decades before, um, but yet there was clearly this hope that um, they had and that they had clung to. Um, their hope uh, was that God would fulfill his promises. This is what their hope was, that God would fulfill their promises. He would do what he said he would do and that the Messiah would come. And more than that, um, for Simeon, um, that he would come before he died. As we've already imagined what that might have been like to get that word from the Lord. Um, their hope was realized. So this morning I just want to talk about three um, aspects, three quick aspects of hope um, that I'd like us to talk about this morning. The first one this aspect of hope is that hope sees beyond. It sees beyond what our current reality, or at least our definition or idea of what our current reality is. Hope sees beyond that. Hope is a fuel for our faith. It drives us to believe. It's also a, a fuel for our dreams and for possibilities. It's not just some idea that's out there. It fuels us. It drives us. And hope um, just might be that whisper, um, might be that spark um, in the cold darkness of our lives that begins to catch flame, if only we would allow it to. But sometimes we snuff out um, that spark or that flame. Let the flicker turn into a flame this morning. So for us, I mean, no, no matter how bad that our year has been, no matter what kind of problems or, or struggles that we're facing right now, no matter uh, what kind of season of darkness or of pain that you're in, um, let me encourage you to not abandon hope. 
cling to hope this morning. Don't abandon it. Um, It is still alive in the deepest and darkest, most painful circumstances of our lives. Um, There is hope. It chases away the darkness and the uncertainty if we would only allow it. And hope is alive um, because God is within us. Romans 8, which many of us know um, this passage uh, very well. There's, there's a part that oftentimes gets overlooked uh, where Paul um, starts off clarifying that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He then explains that this uh, relationship is God's children and what it looks like to live um, by God's Spirit. And, and then he shifts um, to our future when God will fulfill his work in us and restore all of creation. Here's what he says just a a few short verses later. It says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Hear it again. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? You see, imagine if I was to be up here with a $100 bill and I was to go to Ben and be like, hey, Ben, I got a $100 bill for you. You know, you, you might be, I don't, but let's say I did. <laughs> you'd, you'd, pro- you'd probably be a little bit excited about that, right? I mean, who doesn't want a $100 bill? I mean, I, I'll take one if you've got one today. Um, you know, but if I were to tell him, you know, hey, I've got this $100 bill for you, there's a part of him that's going to begin to hope for it. But the, the moment that I give him the $100 bill, we're just going to pretend because, again, I'm not giving you $100, but um, let's pretend that I give you that $100. It's not hope anymore. He, he has it. Um, in his possession, there's no more reason to, to hope for it because it, it already happened. So for us, as we think about um, this verse, that hope that is seen is no hopes at all, no hope at all for who hopes for what they already have. Um, but hope for us, it, it precedes um, our present reality. It, by its very nature, um, it exists in the uncertainty beforehand. And right now, we've already established, we live in a time that's pretty uncertain, um, probably like we've never faced in our lives before. I mean, how many of us um, know what our life looks like two weeks from now? I mean, I don't. I'd kind of like to, but <laughs> I don't. Um, it... Even in our doubts, when things are unclear, uh, when things are uncertain, um, it um, continues um, to be there. We read before this verse in Romans um, that says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That idea leads us to the second thing I want to share with you about hope, that God is with us here, now, and always. God is with us here, now, and always. Uh, With God, there's no uncertainty. God's not wondering, hey, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. He's, he's not wondering, are you going to be with family for Christmas? He's not wondering, um, what's going to happen with the vaccine? Is it going to work, not going to work? Are people going to take it or are they not going to take it? At what point will we not have to wear masks anymore? At what point will kids be able to go back to school? I mean, God, God is not wondering <laughs> any of those things. 
but he is present with us in the past, in the present, as well as in the future. Um, he wasn't surprised uh, when hundreds of thousands of people were either furloughed, laid off, and sent to the unemployment lines. He wasn't surprised when this virus mutated. He wasn't surprised when this virus spread um, across the globe. Um, he wasn't surprised when um, somebody got sick this week or somebody was quarantined this week. He wasn't um, surprised um, by any of those things, and he wasn't surprised that we're oftentimes left feeling uncertain and wondering. Um, he sees you. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us in the present as well as in the past. And he delivers um, this hope that's embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's not some hope that we need to like conjure up, that we need to, ah, oh, I just need to wake up and be more hopeful today. No, it's, it doesn't work that way. That's some weird idea of religion. But we're to, to wake up each day and to pursue the person of Jesus. Because when we are with him, we are exactly where he wants us to be. When we're with Jesus, we're exactly where he wants us to be. So pursue him in all that you do. Each and every morning, wake up um, and pursue him. Our Emmanuel, he is with us. And he gives us this message of hope. He told um, his people in the Old Testament, he said, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He goes on to tell his people, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. He also tells us in 1 Peter, which we did a couple weeks ago, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He goes on even later. In Hebrews, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is what? He is faithful. God is faithful. And Philippians 1 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That whatever God has started, he's going to finish in you. He's not done with you. In Psalms, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. We could go on and on and look at Scripture with the hope, with the promises um, that God has brought to his people. Um, do you feel the hope that's beginning to leap um, from the words of these Scriptures? His people have hope. God is instilling that hope in us, and we are not alone, even in the darkest of our moments, that Emmanuel is with us. The third thing I want us to see about hope this morning is that hope inspires us to carry on. 
The Apostle Paul described the cycle of hope like this in Romans 5. He says, Because of Jesus, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. It doesn't put us to shame. But this hope at the end, I'm not sure, this suffering that we might think that we're experiencing or feel like we're experiencing even now, even today, at the end of it, God uses it to produce hope. That is good news, my friends. It drives us to him when we suffer, when we have difficulty, when we're worried, when we're anxious. Let it drive us to him. Let it drive us to his promises, to his word, to his presence. This empowering hope uh, reminds me, um, there's this story, um, it's real, Um, I don't know if you've heard of it um, or not, Um, there's this um, guy by the name of Tom Moore, uh, now a captain, uh, Sir Tom Moore. You might have heard of him. Um, Incredibly interesting story. Um, He was knighted by the Queen of England this year, Um, He's a 100-year-old man who raised $40 million um, by walking around his garden. What started as um, something that uh, his son challenged him to do to raise money for the medical um, system in England uh, to raise, um, I think it was um, was $100 per lap or something like that. And um, it went viral as they began to share it online. This in the middle of this doom scrolling, there was hope um, that people uh, were reaching out to. And this 100-year-old man walked around his garden over 100 times. And I mean, not like a garden like some of our houses where it's like a four-by-eight box, you know? Not that kind of garden. I mean, it's like a legit like whole courtyard, you know, kind of garden. And, and there he was in his blue blazer with his military um, brass on with all of his awards and pendants uh, with his walker, uh, walking around his garden raising money. Um, here in this, the middle of this awful um, pandemic, um, here is this guy who was knighted because of this um, by the Queen of England, um, providing a measure of hope uh, for people. He was an inspiration. Um, and this guy, you know, he, he still wants to travel the world. I mean, he's not done. Uh, he wants to, when this whole thing is over, he still has more that he wants to do and accomplish. And here's what uh, he said uh, to reporters uh, when they were asking him about this thing. He said, the first step was the hardest. After that, I got into the swing of it and just kept on going. The first step was the hardest. I think for us to be reminded that I think that's also true of hope sometimes for us. It's the first step that's the hardest. I mean, isn't there a part of us that wants to cling to the doomsday, the doom scrolling? I mean, we don't like it, but there's a part of us that grabs a hold of that. But as he said, that the first step is the hardest. For us to, to apply that to, to, to hope. 
Um, it can feel um, so hard at times um, to, to lift our eyes from what we're viewing and what we're worried about and the things that our heart is um, aching about. Um, and sometimes it can feel impossible just to take that first step toward hope uh, when we're weighed down um, by so much junk in our lives. But I, I want us to be reminded that we have received the hope of God's Word. We have been uh, given promises. We have seen promises fulfilled. We have seen God take on flesh as a baby and be born as a virgin and to fulfill hundreds if not thousands of prophecies that are thousands of years old. We have seen that in the past and we sense him uh, even in the present as we hear him speaking to us and challenging us. Hope um, inspires us and it should inspire us. It should embolden us um, to not shrink back um, in fear and worry and anxiety. I promise you, friends, you, you will not be here one day longer than God wants you to be. So live. Live with hope. Don't live foolishly, but live with hope um, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Emmanuel. He is God with us, even today. Live with hope. Let it inspire you. So what, what's your next step of hope today? What is your first step, maybe, during this Advent season to live by hope, to grab a hold of hope? And I think so often uh, we see as humans, uh, we're worried oftentimes about what's going to happen tomorrow. We want to know the future as we've clearly defined. I, I like to skip to the end of the story. I like to know how it's going to end, particularly when it's my story. Uh, I, can, I can endure, yeah. Just tell me how it's going to end and I'll be good. It's the, the uncertainty is oftentimes what what gets me derailed. And that might be true for you today. So what is your first step or your next step of hope during this Advent season? Um, our lives, um, we know, don't work like that where we just get to skip to the end of the story. We don't know what tomorrow we're bringing or next month. We don't know all of that. Um, I wish we did. It's not a privilege that we've been granted but in Christ, uh, we have been given the end of the ultimate story, haven't we? We know how it ultimately ends, even though we may not know what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, in Christ, we've been given a true life that transcends um, all of the plain junk uh, that we call um, our lives today in this world where it's so broken. So in this Advent season, we can find hope in the arrival as well as in the life of Jesus we can draw hope from God's faithfulness um, in fulfilling um, his long-awaited promise to bring the Messiah. We can focus on the hope um, of, that God continued to work um, in us and all around us in that one day take away the need for hope as we realize the person and presence of Jesus Christ in flesh where we stand with him in glory someday. And in the midst of whatever life is thrown at us, we can experience the hope of God's Spirit that lives within us, carrying us, strengthening us, emboldening us, and giving us the strength to take the next step before us. My invitation to you this morning 
is to identify and take the next step of hope in your life. Set aside all the junk, even if only for a moment, um, because in this season, we celebrate that Jesus came as a baby, as a Messiah, as God with us, so that we might surrender our lives to him and live forever with him in glory someday. Let's pray. God, we today, we, uh, we deal with much um, in our hearts, in our lives, in theory, in reality, in, in guesswork, in worry, um, anxiety, of uh, all that um, we're experiencing in our, in our world today. And God, um, we just ask that you would, you would help us um, to first see that you indeed are the hope of the world. That you have granted us eyes to see it. God, that we would also realize and live in light of the fact that you are with us. And you know what tomorrow and the next day and next month will bring. And God, that you just desire for us to in hope, just walk with you, knowing that you've got it all figured out, you're not concerned. God, that you have a plan, and it's far greater than anything that we could ever imagine. So during this Advent season, God, we ask that you would help us to take these next steps of hope, that we might glorify you and others might see this hope that we have, and they might hear the name of Jesus. For it's in his great name we pray. Amen.